You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraph is from Chapter 25 of a supernatural fanfiction story titled Keeping You in Sight by today's guest fanfiction author, Ginger Swag. Dean had only seen Cass cry once, all those months ago, scared he couldn't take care of them both. Now Dean knows he was right. It's wretched to know, wretched to watch Cass know as well. I want you to stay. I want you to stay. Now Dean knows he has a will, because he can feel it wavering. He swallows down the lump in his throat. Cass. I have to go, he wants to say. But he doesn't have to. He wants to. I'm sorry he wants to say. But he isn't. Or at least, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be. But he always will be, as long as he stays here. He'll never be able to want things other people don't, without feeling like he's doing something wrong. And Cass will never feel like he can cry in front of Dean. Will never feel like he can even tell Dean what he wants from him, because he knows Dean will treat it like an order. Cass shouldn't have to be afraid that expressing his own desires will override Dean's so completely. Dean shouldn't have to be afraid of that either. With the same certainty that he knows, Cass would never keep him against his will. He knows that Cass does not have the strength to make him leave if he decides not to. He can hear it in the heartbreak trailing down Cass's cheeks. It's not fair to expect him to have that strength. It's not fair, and it's not love. Love is choice. Love is knowing that you can lean on someone without losing the ability to stand on your own. Love is knowing you can lean on someone without them falling apart. You can't lean on a person you're holding up. Dean knows, then, that if he allows himself to fall apart now, allows himself to be swayed, that Cass will not have the strength to make him leave. But he will also never show himself to Dean again. Cass is trusting him to stay solid, to stay real, to not disintegrate like a hologram at the first sign of weight. He's allowing Dean to look at him, trusting that his true face won't turn Dean into stone. Dean isn't going to let it. North, south, east, and west, four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. All right, guys, we have an amazing guest for you today, which I am so excited about. But before we jump into that, I do want to do a few shout outs. First, a heartfelt shout out to the lovely Elise51 for being the first person to leave a comment on my podcast website. Laura, you are the absolute sweetest. Your comments always make me smile. Thank you so much for your support. And finally, a shout out to Vengeance Angel from the Cobra Kai fandom, a beautiful writer and one of my personal favorite Cobra Kai angst dealers. 
Vengeance Angel wrote a wonderful Drabble, and she gifted it to me on AO3 a few weeks ago. Vengeance Angel, I have no idea if you listen to the show or not, but if you do, I was over the moon when I saw that. So thank you so much for that lovely gesture. And now, on to today's show. In April of this year, I released an episode with Casually Neurotic. And at the end of that episode, we gushed over a supernatural fanfiction writer named Ginger Swag. Today's guest fanfiction writer is, you guessed it, Ginger Swag. Ginger Swag has been a member of AO3 since 2014. She has posted 15 fics for the supernatural fandom there. She is 23, a special education teacher, and she just finished grad school last week and earned her master's degree. Ginger Swag, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. And congratulations on graduating grad school. That's an amazing accomplishment. So congrats. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty relieved to have it be over with. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure it was challenging, but well worth it. Yeah. Well, let's dive right in here with these questions. I have so many for you today, <laughs> but I always like to start at the beginning here. How did you first discover fan fiction? Okay, so I honestly, I was like 13 and I had finally gotten around to reading Harry Potter. Everyone had always read Harry Potter and I had not read it and I finally read it. And then once I had finished, I was obsessed with it, you know, as 13 year olds are. And I was just like, so desperate for more and I couldn't shut up about it and I was like I went to summer camp that year and I was like I'm obsessed with Harry Potter and I desperately want more of it and a friend of mine told me she was like hey so I have some news for you there is something called fan fiction and I was like what the fuck is that and she's like well people write stories about the characters like in the universe and I was like for real and she was like yeah so if you want to read more stuff about Harry Potter you should check out this was 10 years ago, so fanfiction.net. And I was like, oh my God. So I did. <laughs> and when I got home from summer camp that year, and I fell into that obsessively because I have a very obsessive personality. But I had a very like kind of alone fandom experience for a long time because I didn't know about fandom like at all. I was just in, I was just reading like Harry Potter fan fictions, you know, by myself. When I was like 14, in high school, I met some people who were very involved in fandom and sort of brought me into the world of, you know, Tumblr and like, I think AO3 was gaining popularity and I sort of, and like what Comic-Con was, all that stuff. And I sort of started to like see fan fiction through the lens of like actual fandom instead of just me looking for Harry Potter 8. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. These people that brought you into fandom, were they friends that you had in real life? Yeah, yeah. These were people that I met in, in ninth grade in, yeah, in my high school. Did they also read fan fiction? Yes, very much so. Ooh, so you had like this group of in real life friends that were into the same things that you were into. And you guys could talk about fan fiction and pass stories around and stuff like that. Yes, it was very, it was very fun. <laughs> oh my God. So do you remember like what types of Harry Potter fan fiction you were into back then? Oh my God, back then I would, I mean, I would just consume anything. Like I was so, I am a, I, am I saying this word right? Voracious? Is that like, yeah. I was like a voracious reader and like 
So I, I, I really would just read anything. I desperately wanted more. So I clicked on pretty much anything that looked vaguely interesting to me. I remember not all of it was very good. <laughs> a lot of it was sort of written by other 13-year-olds. And I, I would read it anyway. You know, I would, was like, I don't care. Like, seriously, anything at that time. Oh, that's so awesome. You know, it's funny because I discovered Harry Potter rather late in life. I was in my 20s. And I, I, I had known about Harry Potter before, but I'm such a stubborn person. And I was like, I'm not going to read it. Everyone else is reading it. And yeah. I, I'm just not going to do it just because everyone else is doing it. And then one day, there was a boy <laughs> that I liked a lot. <laughs> yeah. And he was having a Harry Potter party at his house. And I didn't want to be the only person there that had never read Harry Potter. So I sat down and read the whole series in like a week. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that's what I did, too. Like, I didn't want to read Harry Potter for a long time because I was very, yeah, I just wanted to be different, you know? Right. And then one day I was like, I was just really bored and I picked up the book and then I just like, I couldn't stop. Like I went to the library and I just sat there for like two days straight, just reading through all of the books really fast. <laughs> it's easy to do, right? Yeah. They just kind of suck you in and then you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what happens next and all that yeah. crazy stuff. <laughs> kind of sucks that there's all this, this shit now recently with you know jk rowling because that's kind of put a damper on my enjoyment of it you know yeah no that's completely understandable and you're absolutely not alone in that opinion and in that experience a lot of people that i've talked to in recent months have had those same feelings about the fandom ever since that happened yeah so kind of you're sad. definitely not alone in fact i know there's an author out there Miss Julia Miriam, I interviewed her earlier in the year, and uh, she's doing a whole Harry Potter rewrite in response to that, because she's yeah. like, yep, yep, Harry Potter belongs to us now. We're going to just take it over, and we're going to do it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good attitude. I like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So you were a teenager when you first discovered fan fiction. Have you always wanted to be a writer? No. Like, my dad is a television writer, and so... He doesn't like his career, um, and so he's it's very unstable. And so as a kid, we had, it was sort of a joke, but sort of not. Like He was always like, don't write, don't write, like this, don't do it. You know, it was almost like, like in a jokey way, like sort of the forbidden thing. So I kind of avoided it for a long time. I didn't really think about it as like, I, I didn't write anything forever. And then I kind of just, I sort of fell into it out of just frustration of, I got to get my ideas out there, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. What inspired you to write your first project? Was it just that getting the thoughts out there or you had an idea that you really wanted to get out? Or Yeah, I mean, it really was like I've been reading fan fiction for a really long time and specifically the kind of fan fiction that I wrote about, you know, like a lot of the same tropes. And I was like, I had so many of my own ideas and I also had so many frustrations, I think, with the kind of tropes that I was reading. And I just, I just felt like I needed to get them out there. And I mean, it's very classic. I think people want to read what they write, you know, um, people are like, they'd rather read it than write it. But it's like, oh, I guess I have to do everything myself around here. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to be your own hero. <laughs> exactly. So that's sort of what prompted me to write. I started getting I was I was just like, Oh, all right, fine. I'll do it myself. You know? Oh, now, I'm curious, like growing up having your dad, you know, with his negative experience and not liking his job, do you feel like that affected your ability to write at all? Um, not really. Like, it, I think it definitely affected my opinion of like, 
thinking of like creative careers or whether those were like an option at all. Like I definitely didn't even consider that, you know, but I don't think it really affected my like my own ability to write once I started. That's good. Well, thank God, because we got Keeping You in Sight, which I understand was your first fan fiction writing project, right? Yeah, it was my first fan fiction writing. It was actually really the first piece of fiction I ever wrote. I had written a lot of like, you know, essays and stuff for school, but I never considered myself to be really a writer at all or, or like have any talent in it because anytime we had like prompts in school or it's like write something creative, I, I couldn't fucking do it. I was like, I don't know what to write. I have nothing. So it was really my first, it was my first fiction writing at all. And I was pretty surprised by the response I got to it. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely want to touch on that later. Because, uh, you know, everyone who listens to the show probably knows I love going in and reading people's like comments on <laughs> stories and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just a joy reading the comments that came in for keeping you in sight. So I do want to touch on that later. But okay, so this was your first creative writing project. And I know that it wasn't something that you wrote like all at once, like it was an ongoing project that you started. You were pretty young when you started that, right? Yeah, I had just graduated high school. I was 17 when I started it. And I feel like you can tell. <laughs> there's some stuff in there. I, I feel like one day I want to go back and edit it because there's so many spelling errors and grammar mistakes and I didn't know how to punctuate things. It's I can't reread the first chapters because I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. It's so good, though. It's so good. Like I, When I first discovered that story on AO3, I had no idea you know, how old you were. And I was just stunned by how deep the story was and the themes that you were touching on. So when I found out like how old you were when you started it, I was just blown away like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So <laughs> I think that that's really cool, you know, that you started that as your first project and you had a really great response. And it sounds like it was a good experience for you. Yeah, for sure. I was definitely I definitely when I started writing it, I was kind of like hoping, OK, like I hope I'll get like some response. I wanted it to be good. You know, but I was like, you know, manage your expectations. Don't like just, you know, be like, oh, I'm a fraud. Give up if like people don't immediately you <laughs> right. know, respond to it. But then I did get such a response and I was like, whoa, OK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I can't wait. We'll, we'll touch on that later. But going back to Supernatural for a little bit, like how did you first get into Supernatural? My friends in high school, like I made friends with people who were, like I said, in sort of fandom. I had never heard of Supernatural, but they were obsessed with Supernatural. Then I started watching Supernatural and ironically, like I started to get really, really, really into it and other people's interests started fading, but mine did not go away. <laughs> so that's, that's, I was like, yeah, I was like 14 and I started watching it and I was, I just fell in love with it. What do you love the most about it? Oh, well, I'm an older sibling. I'm an older, I, I have a little sister and I think that is a really big part of it for me. Dean Winchester is pretty much my favorite character from anything ever. I don't know. I, I feel like there's so much that I like about it, but I like the family dynamics going on. I I think I really like the what I think is a big theme, at least especially in the early seasons, is sort of like dealing with childhood trauma, like without, you know, stuff that you haven't really acknowledged and stuff and kind of addressing it for the first time and really processing your feelings. I think that's a huge theme that I like. And I also really like this sort of cosmic aspect to it that really when you get into it really boils down to just family drama which I thought that was so cool you know like they have like heaven and hell involved but really 
even the angels are just really having family fights and they're talking, you know, they're fighting about the apocalypse and stuff, but it's really just about their own issues. Like, I think my favorite part, my favorite moment, I think, in Supernatural is actually like, there's this part where Sam and Dean are fighting about the upcoming apocalypse and, you know, Sam is going to go off and I think try to, it's right before he like breaks the last seal and like Lilith, you know, appears uh, the devil gets uh you know uh, unleashed or something they like have this fight and dean is like stop like you can't do this this is like all we're gonna start the apocalypse and then sam goes stop bossing me around dean and it's like oh so that's what this is about you know so <laughs> right it, everything kind of boils down to that family dynamic right yeah so that's something i really really love about it is like I, and i i found out in the past couple of years that I actually really like horror and that's sort of what I, I like about good horror is like there's all these supernatural elements and all this bigger drama happening but really it's about the people and their stupid issues that they don't deal with you know yeah and those stupid issues kind of come creeping back on you when they're not dealt with right so it's kind of if you think about it part of the horror genre just in the sense that it's like the monster under the bed, right? Except exactly. instead of a monster, it's an issue. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's what I like about it. Now, your stories that you've come up with so far are focused on the Dean and the Cass pairing and the dynamic between them. What makes that dynamic so compelling to write about for you? So first of all, like I said, Dean is like my favorite character ever. So any relationship that he's in is appealing to me already, you <laughs> know? But what's particularly appealing, I think, is is that I feel like Dean is this character that's very closed off. He's just full of walls and mirrors. You know, he he's not very um, truthful about who he is. He's very, yeah, he, he doesn't talk about his feelings. He, he doesn't project, like, who he really is. And then Cass is this character that really can't help but do that. Like, he's very, very, very earnest. And to me, that was so appealing to see as a dynamic because it, it takes... Dean so off guard, I think, in canon, like all the time, like Cass is so blunt and earnest about his desires and how he feels and, and who he is and how he feels about Dean. And, and that really takes Dean off guard. And so I think it sort of breaks through, you know, those walls. And I think to me, that's something that's very appealing. Also, I'm asexual, and I always interpreted Cass as asexual. And I think looking back, that was definitely a big thing that drew me to the pairing as well that I felt like Cass was, you know, was like me and, th and that he's asexual to me. Right. You know, over the years, I've heard a lot of people point that out about the Cass character and how they really appreciated that because it still shows them having really great relationship, but especially in fan fiction, you know, you see that a lot, which I just think is so freaking beautiful because relationships can come in all kinds of different ways and they don't have to look exactly the same, right? Now, I know that a lot of people have already read Keeping You in Sight, it's a pretty popular one as far as Supernatural slave fic goes. <laughs> it's inspired a lot of other fan fictions, including one of my favorites, Maybe Sprout Wings. So first of all, thank you so much for producing that for us so that we could get more works inspired by it. So that's <laughs> great. But for those of us who haven't read Keeping You in Sight, what is that story about? And what were you hoping to communicate with that story? So Keeping You in Sight is a slave fic. It's about Dean who's been like very abused and like basically the, the premise is very, he's been very abused and, and he's bought by Cass's 
brother Gabe for him because Cass is blind and he's sort of in theory to help him around. But we really learn later it's not so much that as much as Cass is very depressed and Gabe kind of thinks that having someone to sort of take care of and help will will help Cass and it, and it does. And so the story is really about Dean healing through having this safe environment and this safe person to be around. But for me, it's really about dependency, autonomy. It's a lot, honestly, about Dean and Sam's relationship, even though Sam is not a character until the end. It's something that was like very common, I think, in, in this trope of slave fic is this sort of like dependency where this one character is completely healed by another and completely relies on them. And it's not really examined beyond the initial surface level, you know, relationship. And it's just sort of set up as like, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. And they get together in the end. And it's just sort of like, yep, awesome. And that always made me uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's something that I never really saw truly addressed in the way that I felt it needed to be addressed. And, and that's really what was the impetus for me to, to write this fan fiction. And I, I feel like, to me, it was the, the message I was trying to communicate was kind of about how, how making someone else like your responsibility sort of erodes their, their sense of identity and, and honestly violates their autonomy. And that this is something that like, if you are completely dependent on someone else and can't set up boundaries, like it makes that person who's trying to take care of you, it makes it their responsibility to sort of figure out your boundaries and that's not fair to them and it's kind of exhausting. And also when you decide that someone else is your responsibility, you are sort of taking over who they are, taking responsibility for their mistakes, for their talents, you know, for all their successes. And that is, like I said, it kind of erodes your sense of identity. And that's something that I honestly felt like was a theme in canon Supernatural that Dean sort of did with Sam on accident because he was sort of made responsible for him. And that's something that I explored in the fan fiction of, of where, D where Dean is sort of ha had done that to Sam and it had sort of messed up their relationship. And he was sort of in danger of this happening again where Cass was making Dean his responsibility and Dean was sort of making Cass's emotional state his responsibility and that that was not going to work. You know, they were not going to be happy like that. And so I don't know if I should spoil the ending or not. <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> well, spoiler alert, Dean leaves Cass at the end. I didn't know if people were going to be really mad about that, but I, I actually got a very positive response. So I, I guess I set it up well enough that it made sense <laughs> to people that that was really the only healthy way for it to end. Now, it sounds like you had a lot of experience reading slave fic tropes before you started this project. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I agree with you that like, because I've read a lot of stories in that trope as well. And you're right. A lot of these stories, and I'm not knocking any of them because they're wonderful, but a lot of stories do feature someone who's rescued out of slavery and the power of love kind of just heals them, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and they end up healed and fine and they usually end up, you know, falling in love with the rescuer. And it's kind of this like awkward thing. And I think that reading your story was the very first time that I had ever read a fan fiction story 
that pushed against that trope a little bit in the exact sense that you said that in yours, Dean doesn't have this straight line to recovery. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, great, I have food and clothes and a safe place to live. Like, I'm fine now, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And then you explored that really hard concept of love and what it is and what it's not, right? Yeah. Which just blew me away because I don't know if this is anyone else's experience in life, but in my life, I feel like I have spent my entire life trying to grasp and understand what love is. It just seems like this vast concept that I'll spend the rest of my days trying to understand, right? Yeah. And you did that with this fan fiction story in such a beautiful way. This is one of the stories that truly changed me. And I feel like a lot of people had that experience when they read this and got to the end, especially that ending, because while it is a little surprising that he did leave, how else could it have ended after Dean has that realization that he has to? Yeah. No, I actually, this sounds so like corny, I guess, but like when you're talking about like the theme of love and what is it and all that, and something that was very influential in my development of this idea and going into it and writing this story was there was this, I love the book Perks of Being a Wallflower. There's this line in it that made a huge impact on me when I read it when I was like 15. It is, and it took me years to understand it. Like I, it just kept like going in my head, like in circles. And I, I was so confused by it. it. I think they said, the, the girl in it says to the guy, I think his name's Charlie. She says, you can't just keep putting everyone else's life ahead of yours and think that counts as love. And that had a huge impact on me because I was like, what? Isn't that what love is? That's like what I thought it was, you know? And I, I thought about that for such a long time trying to understand why it wouldn't be. And this story, I think, was me trying to explore that and explain that almost to myself. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was absolutely exactly what you just said. While most of us can't relate to Dean's experience coming up from slavery, we can absolutely relate to his like interpersonal relationship with Cass, right? Yeah. And I feel like so many of us have had that experience in a relationship where we are making all of these crazy sacrifices for someone else, thinking that that's love, right? Yeah. And not realizing that it's not. (laughs) And that boundaries have to be there for the love to be real. Yeah. It's not just bad for you, though it is. It's also bad for the other person. It's like, that just puts this sort of responsibility on them to figure out how to stop you from killing yourself, (laughs) which isn't fair. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to circle back to that in just a little bit. But first, I I just have to tell you that I've read this story many times. And the first time that I read it, and this happens to me a lot, I have a hard time sometimes remembering details in my brain. Mm -hmm. But I remember emotions, right? Yeah. So after I was finished reading this fic, and I spent days thinking about it afterwards, and I couldn't quite remember all of the lines that I loved or what was said, but I could remember the feeling that I had reading it, and I could remember the emotions that came with it. And I don't think that I had ever had an emotional experience reading a fan fiction as strong as I did reading yours. Oh my God. <laughs> Especially the way that you presented Dean's inner pain and turmoil, if that makes sense. Yeah. You did it in a way that made it so real. It was like so immersive, that experience of going along with you and reading that. 
so I was just wondering, like, <laughs> where did the inspiration for those scenes come from? And was it difficult for you writing from Dean's point of view? Honestly, it wasn't really difficult. I I wrote from his perspective because like in almost entirely, except I think I had one chapter from Sam's perspective because I was like way more worried about trying to write from Cass's perspective because I rely so much on like facial expressions and stuff to like bulk up scenes that I was like, I didn't really know if I could write from Cass's perspective because he couldn't see. And that sounds really shitty, but I just like, I just didn't know like what to write in between dialogue, you know? Um, I had never thought of that before, that you're right. Yeah. can't see. So I was like so nervous about that. So I wrote the whole thing from Dean's perspective and honestly, all this internal shit, I really just was like, okay, what's like the worst way Dean could interpret the situation? And then I wrote that. (laughs) I also think in terms of like, The like deeper parts of it, I've kind of been like psychoanalyzing canon Dean since I was like 14, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And while like keeping you in sight, Dean is maybe more like exaggerated forms of trauma and a more exaggerated screwed up mindset. To me, I feel like I was kind of just writing the mentality that canon Dean has just sort of more exaggerated. So I was really just writing down a lot of these thoughts and that I'd had about how Dean interprets situations in general since I was a kid that I've been thinking about, you know? So I don't feel like that was a very difficult aspect for me. The internal aspect of writing is much, much more easy for me to write than the external, like people actually doing things and talking. That I feel like I'm pulling my eyes out of my skull. (laughs) But the internal stuff feels natural to you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's it's obvious, though, because the internalized writing and the, the internalized prose that you put in all of your stories, it just, it rips you apart in all the all the best ways. I mean, that <laughs> as like the highest compliment, because like, yeah. you know, for me, I love to be emotionally stabbed to death when I'm reading a fan fiction story. And goddamn, the way that you do that is just beautiful (laughs) thanks so like yes that is absolutely one of your strong points now do you have a favorite scene from keeping you in sight yeah i think chapter 24 which is the scene where sam and dean finally talk like not where they meet each other again but where they sit down and and talk it all out that's sort of the emotional climax of the story it's it's where dean has to confront his reality, you know, his past, like the problems he has, his future in terms of where it's going and the fact that he has control over it. That's definitely my favorite scene. It's sort of what I was working towards the entire, the entire story. There was another chapter after that, I think the next one, that was also a, a big favorite of mine. But I think if I have to make one, it's, it's the one where Sam and Dean are just sitting in the, in the basement next to like the laundry or whatever. And talk about their basically their their experience growing up together and and sort through all of their issues finally is chapter 24 if i remember correctly and correct me if i'm wrong because my brain does weird things but is chapter 24 the one where the velveteen rabbit Mm -hmm. comes in yeah yeah ah yes ah i'm so glad that you brought that one up because i grew up with that story the velveteen rabbit and as a kid i remember like the emotional impact of that story, I would bawl my eyes out. 
every single fucking yeah. time that someone read that story to me. Yeah, because, like, no, me too. You just put yourself in the rabbit's you know, know. shoes and you're just like, oh so my bad. God. Yeah, and you feel so bad because that rabbit just loves that boy. And, know. you know, oh my God, you know? And when, I was not expecting that to make an appearance in your story the first time I read it. <laughs> and when all of a sudden the Velveteen Rabbit comes in and I could see where you were going with it even before you went there, I just started bawling like oh, no. as I was reading the story. Because I was just like, oh, my God, Dean's the rabbit. And then I keep reading, you know, the whole chapter was like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is the best. Yeah. I definitely wished I was like, oh, God damn it. I really wish that I had brought the story up before that scene. That's the problem with writing fan fiction where you're just publishing every chapter. But like, you know, you're not publishing it all at once. I guess some people do that with fan fiction, but I don't. And like the problem is that. You can't go back and like set things up. So once can't I foreshadow. Yeah, with once the... I started writing that, I was like, "Shit, I should have brought this up before," you know. But I hadn't. See, and that kind of brings up a question that I had. I was reading through some of the comments, and there was one commenter who was talking about the Velveteen Rabbit scene, and I guess she had never read Velveteen Rabbit before and found it very powerful. Which, of course, you know, it's a beautiful story. But they were wondering, did you go into the story knowing from the beginning that you were going to be bringing the Velveteen Rabbit into the scene like that? Or did it just kind of happen organically, like as you were sitting down to write that chapter? Or? Yeah, no, it was, I didn't, I didn't think about that when I went into the story. It was, it was, it just occurred to me as I was writing that chapter. I don't remember what prompted that thought exactly. I don't remember. I think it was the, that I had the scene this this memory that I wanted Dean to have about Sam sort of having almost like, you know, a breakdown by like trying to like destroy Dean's book. And Dean, I thought that was like a powerful thing to, to show like how screwed up their relationship was that Dean just did it for him. Like in the story, like Sam was trying to rip this book up and he couldn't because he was a kid and didn't have the strength. And so Dean reaches out and does it for him. He, he rips the book in half. And I thought that was like a powerful metaphor to show, you know, that their how their relationship goes, that Dean is so, so self-sacrificing and so not willing to put up his own boundaries that he will hurt himself if he thinks that's what other people want. And right. so when I was going into that, I was like, okay, so what book is it going to be? And, I, and that's, I think, how I thought of The Velveteen Rabbit because it seemed relevant. So relevant. That whole conversation that they have about love and how love makes you real, and what does it mean to be real, right? And what yeah. does it mean to love? And that part where Sam so gently points out to him, like, no, like, that's not love. You know, you, you thought that whole time that that was love, but it's not. And Justine having that realization was so fucking beautiful, <laughs> like, so powerful, you know? Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, for those of us, you know, in real life who struggle with things like boundaries, right? And struggle with things like love. What is it? What does it look like? What it, what's it supposed to look like? I don't know about anyone else, but like that helped me so much just in real life to be like, oh, oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, this applies so much to me <laughs> just yeah. as a, you know, in my real life situations and stuff. And it was just so powerful. I mean, it was definitely an expression of, of stuff that I've had to learn, you know, throughout my life. That was definitely what I was writing about, you know? Right. Yeah. And just the way it was so masterfully done. 
so freaking gorgeous. Doesn't surprise me that that's that's your favorite scene because it was mine too. <laughs> Thank Absolutely. you. Was that emotional for you writing that scene? Yeah, that scene and the next scene were definitely the most emotional to write. I had a lot of them. I had a lot of lines from them written because they were what I, I knew I was working towards the whole time. They also took me the longest to publish. I mean, the last six chapters of that story took me two years to publish. And because every single scene was so emotional for me and I had all these parts and I had to put them together the right way. And it was like I was going in circles trying to, I had to cut so many things that I didn't want to cut. You know, I have like literally like 48 pages of like those two scenes that never made it in. I had to figure out how to get this point across as clearly as possible. You know, but I also was like, okay, you're not writing an essay. You know, you're telling a story here. Like, what's relevant? What would they say? And that kind of thing. They were difficult. Those two were, I think, the 24 and 25 were the, the most emotional to write. Yeah, but honestly, 20 through 26, where every single scene was emotional. Like, chapter 20, where Dean, that's where he sees the picture of Sam that Jess yes. gives him and mm -hmm. he runs off. The second half of that scene where he's sort of processing that was very emotional for me to write. And also chapter 23, which is the only one that's not from Dean's point of view, it's from Sam's point of view. That was very emotional for me to write as well. Ironically, it was actually probably the easiest scene for me to write because I had so much stored, it like so much backlog, you know, of what I needed Sam to say, his perspective. Right. Yes. But it was very emotional as well. I'm so glad that you included that chapter from Sam's point of view. And the reason that I say that is because like when I was younger, I went through some kind of experience and I had a certain perspective about it. But my perspective was as a younger child. And then when you grow up and you start thinking about that situation again, your perspective starts changing, right? Because yeah. you're older and you have more experience and wisdom and all that. And I am so fascinated by that psychological phenomenon. Different people can be in the exact same room having the same conversation with each other or the exact same experience, but come away with two completely different perspectives, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I was thinking about Sam the whole time I was writing the story. Like, that's what when he came in, it felt like, okay, here's our third main character, even though he's only here for a few chapters, because it was like the whole story was sort of a an unraveling of, of this, this story about Sam and Dean, you know, like this backstory kept getting more and more revealed. And what I really liked about that chapter, and I really liked about writing his point of view in that chapter was that we see in Dean's perspective that he has one idea of Sam, not just the way he treats him of like, you know, he's going to do anything for him and all that, but like how he thinks Sam was perceiving these situations. And then we see in, in Sam's perspective that he had a much better understanding of what was going on than Dean realized, but he just couldn't emotionally handle it. But the, his, his perspective was not, Dean's idea of what Sam was thinking was not the truth. Exactly. So they have these like differing perspectives and it was so amazing to see them be able to come together and talk about that honestly and yeah. openly. I felt like they both had realizations at that moment that their perspectives, <laughs> were, you know, were both a little bit off, right? And they were able to kind of heal from that by understanding for the very first time, like, oh, you know, that's not what you thought, or that's not what you were trying to do, or, oh, 
you know? And it's just this incredibly healing moment where a lot of misunderstandings got cleared up. Yeah, yeah, that's why I think it was, that was like my favorite scene. Yeah, oh, it was wonderful. Do you have any favorite lines from Keeping You in Sight? Yeah, so there are a lot of lines that I'm proud of, but I didn't even really have to think about this question, actually. In the end of chapter 24, there's a line, the last line in that chapter is, you have to love what you need. It's when you don't need something and you love it anyway that you know your love is real. And when your love is real, so are you. I wrote that line years earlier. I wrote that line towards the beginning of the fic when I started publishing it. And that was really what I was writing towards the whole time. Like that was the emotional conclusion that I was trying to write towards. So to finally get to the point where I could put it down on paper was very cathartic. It was like, finally. And the, the story wasn't over there, but it was like, finally, we're at that point emotionally where Dean can have this thought and it makes sense. Right. It's like, it was really, honestly, like the emotional apex yeah. of the entire fake for me. I wrote that down too. When I was thinking, what's my favorite line from this whole thing? And that's the one I pulled out too. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was just so powerful. So good. So I'm so glad that that's your favorite too. That's so cool. Yeah. Especially because that's the chapter where the Velveteen Rabbit is there as a parallel. And that line just goes along with that parallel so perfectly. And I was just like, oh, this is so like grand and just perfect. Yeah, I think that was also, it really goes back to what we were talking about in terms of the sort of motivation for writing this fiction was a lot of the the tropes that I see in, in like slave fic or a lot of like her comfort type of fan fiction that isn't really addressed is like, you know, when, when someone is like rescued by someone else or taken care of by someone else and then they fall in love with them, it's like, it's not necessarily like it can't happen or is it Stockholm Syndrome, but it's like, well, you love, like, y you need that person. How can you not love them? You know, it's like little kids always love their parents, even when they're not good, because they need their parents. And that's, that's sort of the, the function of love in that way. But that's not a choice, you know, like, it's not, you don't really have a choice about it. So I felt like you don't really want to have that in an adult relationship where one of the, the parties needs someone else. And I feel like that's, you can't know if that's a genuine love then, because you can't make a choice about it. Yeah, that dependency really creates a problem. I agree with that 100%. And I was, I, I was so glad that that was addressed in your fic, because you're right, like, that, that comes up a lot in a lot of these types of hurt, comfort, like, angsty, you know, stories, and especially with slave trope. And so it was just really great to see that that pushback against that a little bit. And especially at the end where he chooses to leave. Because like, while some people may be upset about that or be like, what? After all that? Really? No one was. I was really surprised. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I got like no <laughs> negative feedback. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad that people got it because it was. It was so powerful that he made that choice for himself to do the best thing for him and for Cass. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was like he's leaving and it's like, yes, the, this choice to leave for himself is is hugely monumental. But for me, what, what that really says about his emotional state is like the real first free choice that he makes is to put down the responsibility he has been holding for Cass's emotional state. Like he's no longer making himself in charge of that. And that's what allows him to make a decision for himself. Yeah, this might devastate Cass, but it's not even like, 
he's accepting that sometimes Cass is going to be devastated. It's more just like, he's like, that's not my responsibility. Yeah, for the first time, he's able to put that down. Yeah. And in that way, make Cass real as well. I mean, I'm just using this word real. You know, obviously people are real already. I just, I mean, sort of, you know, I'm talking about the concept of autonomy, like that when you acknowledge that someone else's emotional state and their choices and all those things are their own and that your choices don't, well, they affect them, but they're not, it's not, you're not in charge of those, that person's feelings or anything. They are allowed to be real as well. And that's what happens with Sam in that story. And that's what happens with Cass as well. Yes. The themes of autonomy and choice. Yeah. We're just all over this fic. And it was just so gratifying to see them come to those conclusions. It was just it was so great. There were a lot of really great reactions to this story as you were writing. And you wrote, am I correct that you? it, it took you like four or five years? It took me five years, yeah. Five years, yeah, yeah. So that was five years of people following the story and, and commenting and everything. Was that a surprise to you when you had like all this praise coming in and stuff? For sure. Like I... Didn't expect the reaction I got to this fic in terms of the popularity, but I also, the amount of emotional reactions I got was was really startling. I didn't pull out any particular reactions that meant something to me because so many of them were so personal that I really didn't want to, you know, read them out loud where like people can hear them, even though I know they're public, you know? Yes, it blew me away. Like people had reactions telling me about this story changed their lives, that it completely changed the way they thought about love or dependency or their own traumas. I had people telling me that they were going to change the way that they were interacting with people in their own lives, that it helped them understand something about their own relationships, you know, or whether they had to confront someone about something or cut someone off or change the way they're interacting with the world. And that was just mind-blowing. Wow, that's so powerful. I didn't really know how to respond. Like I have res- I I responded to a few comments. At first, I wasn't responding because I'm very I'm very shy. I've been trying to respond a lot more with Wander Home, but I also just I have no idea what to say. You know, like I don't know how to respond to that. And I don't mean that in like a bad way of like I'm so glad people left those comments cuz they mean everything to me. But I just how do you respond when someone's like, this changed my life? Like, yay, thanks. Glad to hear it. You know, like, I don't know what to say, you know? Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to explore, though, because I feel like that's such a testament to how powerful stories are and how powerful fan fiction can be. It's not that we don't see these kinds of stories pop up in published fiction, because we do. And we see them in, you know, published media of different forms and, you know, different things like that. But one of the things I've always loved about fan fiction is that these are stories coming from the people, you know, like these are the people's stories. And sometimes just the emotional depth that we get from folk storytelling can be so much more powerful than any other type of storytelling. To me, that's one of the most magical things about fan fiction is its ability to have that kind of reaction with the audience yeah I mean I think for me like fan fiction something I think makes fan fiction so like powerful and special is that you don't have to go through a publisher or a production team or anything to get your story out there and it also allows people if they want to be to stay anonymous and I think that allows people to talk about subjects that they wouldn't otherwise talk about and to talk about them with a depth that 
might be very difficult to do when you have to be putting your work through a a production team or or a, a bunch of publishers and editors that are trying to slick it back and make it as appealing as possible to the widest number of people. You know, these stories can be kind of, I'm not trying to hate on published work, like some of the best stories I've ever read are, are, you know, published work, but you don't have this filter, I think, between the author and the audience with fan fiction. Right. And with that lack of filter, sometimes what comes out on the other end is just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So when I hear stories like this of people telling you that you changed their life with fan fiction, like, I believe it. I totally believe it because, you know, I feel like my life has been changed many times. I do want to go into your writing process a little bit, but I think I'm going to save that until after we talk about your most recent writing project, because after Keeping You in Sight, you went to grad school, of course. And in fact, I think that you, you posted your last chapter of keeping you in sight like the week that you went to your yeah, orientation yeah, it was like the for day grad before, school right <laughs> the day after or something yeah yeah it was like right there so i actually think that it's so appropriate that we're sitting down today to talk because you finished keeping you in sight <laughs> right before going to grad school and now here you are just graduated yeah. and we get to talk about all of your cool projects yeah. <laughs> so that's it's so appropriate but anyway you did the wander home series which is still ongoing And you've been writing that while you were in grad school. Yeah, well, (laughs) to me, it's it's a it's not the same thing. It's kind of more of a a fluff piece. I started it over last like winter break. Like I had like like seven days off, and I just put my you know pen to paper, so to speak. I mean, I guess fingers to keyboard, and just started writing something down. I honestly, I, I think I mentioned this in the intro but I was I was like playing Skyrim a lot <laughs> I was like the inns in Skyrim are so fucking cute and like they're so right. warm and cozy and I was like oh I want to live in one of these inns so I started writing about that <laughs> without much of a direction and, and I've been trying very hard to not be a perfectionist about it and not put too much like thought and effort in this is just in my description of the wander home verse but like on on AO3, but basically, like, Keeping in Sight was was a really emotional piece for me. It was kind of like a manifesto of, like, so many things that I've been thinking about my whole life. And this Wander Home is more me picking up Dean and Cass and smushing their faces together like Barbies and being like, kiss! See, it's funny because you say that, right? You say that. And yet, yeah, I don't know how everyone else feels about it, but, like, it was still so emotional for me reading Wander Home, not in the same way as Keeping You in Sight, but in almost the same way. (laughs) You know, because like, just the devastation that Dean comes from, and then having that all turned around when he meets Cass. And I really felt so emotionally invested in Cass as well for the Wander Home series, because I grew up very isolated myself. I don't have the same issues that he does. But I, I did grow up very isolated, and I, I vividly remember those feelings of, oh, I hate talking to people, and it's really hard yeah. for me, and nobody understands me, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like meeting Dean is the first time in his whole life that he's met someone who actually likes him for him. And that just felt so special to me. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, I, I guess I just think that's like I'm, I'm spending a lot less effort trying to like deconstruct anything. Like, it's way more just like, this is very tropey, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 that's cool though that you had that opportunity to just do that, like to write something that was fun yeah. for you. Yeah, like I just just falling into it, and it's just like very tropey. Very oh my god, sometimes people are I, I, sometimes people are leave comments like, oh no, I hope they're okay, and it's like, oh my god, obviously they're gonna be okay. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> so like so basic, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, but that's just how much we all care about yeah. your characters here. Because, like, <laughs> we just want them all to have that happy Yeah, end. I'm just like, yeah, we're obviously <laughs> hurtling towards that. Like, this is not a very complicated story. Now, with grad school being crazy, because, like, obviously grad school is, like, super intense and crazy, did writing Wander Home give you that chance to kind of, like, check out from yeah. the craziness of grad school a little bit and give you that outlet? Like, I, I... I've mentioned this a million times, but I have ADHD and like to really do any work, I have to be on Adderall. And so like, sometimes I just write like while I'm like waiting for the Adderall to kick in because I really have no time, but I can't get anything done if the Adderall's not working yet. So a lot of time I would have like 40 minutes where I'm waiting for the Adderall to start working. And then that's when I'd write. And then sometimes I'm like, hmm. I'm going to ignore my work and do this writing instead um, as well. Sometimes I did that. <laughs> That's so awesome, though, to have that outlet when you really need it. Because you know what? Sometimes when shit gets like really hard, sometimes you really, for your own sanity, just need to take a break and do something that you really love. Yeah, yeah no, it's definitely been really fun. And I've been putting more effort in as I go. Is it like continues? Like now I'm writing the third major installation of it, which is the outside and like that one I really have planned out and everything. But at first I was just like, I don't know, like, you know, like I'll just write whatever. Right, right, right. Oh, that's so cool, though. So as I was reading, I reread Keeping You in Sight to prepare for this. And then I was rereading Wander Home to prepare. And what I noticed <laughs> is that even though this is this is a fun fluff piece and everything, the similes and the metaphors that you use in the language of Wander Home were absolutely fucking gorgeous. I pulled out a few because I just wanted to kind of like read them out loud here really quick because they're so good. So the first one is from Cass's point of view. The, the first two are from Cass's point of view, where he talks about how he's lost in the ocean of the great wide world. His home had been his ship, the only thing keeping him afloat. How naively he had jumped off of it thinking he'd be able to swim. And I just loved that. He's lost <laughs> in the ocean of the great wide world. And then there was another one, I think in an earlier chapter, where you're talking about Cass like traveling right to this inn to go retrieve Dean. And it says, eight days of travel have turned Cass's body into syrup and his willpower into dust. He expects to greet the sight of the town like a sailor greets the first sight of land gratefully and with the forgiving taste buds of the hungry that stayed with me all day i just kept thinking about it over and over and going oh my god that's so <laughs> so beautiful and the, this whole thing from wander home is filled with stuff like this so even though like it's a fluff piece and all that it's like rife with these amazing similes and metaphors that i just absolutely yeah loved. i think i've gotten a lot better at that like that's something i didn't do a lot of in the early keeping you in sight or if i did i, I really had to think about it a lot while I think I've I've gotten more of a a skill for for kind of putting those feelings into metaphors, something that's been hard <laughs> has been writing a historical piece because sometimes the metaphors I want to write don't make sense because 
like there was one where I was like, I was going to say something was expanding like a balloon, like an emotion was expanding like a balloon. And I was like, fuck, balloons don't exist. And I had to like look up the history of balloons and it was like, yeah, no, balloons definitely didn't exist yet unless I want to use a pig's bladder instead. And I, that doesn't really have the same emotional resonance. So I think I sat there forever trying to think of like an equivalent. And I think I said blown glass and I was like, it kind of works, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. I never thought of that until you just said it with this being a historical piece. You would have to carefully select yeah. the words that you're going to use to describe emotions and yeah, events. Yeah, like, like the one you just read where it said something about his body felt like syrup. Did you did you actually go back and see that? I can't remember. Like, is that what I actually said? Yeah, yeah. Turned Cass's body into syrup. I definitely wrote molasses, and then I was like, molasses doesn't exist. <laughs> so. Oh, so you yeah. had to change it to syrup <laughs> to be, like, historically accurate. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. Well, then, and the next part. The sailor greeting the side of the town like a sailor greets the first sign of land was just so historically. I guess, accurate. yeah. It's, it's definitely like I'm not putting a huge amount of effort into making things historically accurate, but there's just like parts that I'm like, I don't want that to be like jarring. That doesn't make sense. The anachronisms, like, you yeah, know, like, like, being like, whoa. Yeah, like a cheat code. It's like cheat code for what, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 one of the things that I have enjoyed the most, I think, about Wonder Home. I mean, not only is it like emotionally satisfying, but just picking through and seeing the different similes and metaphors that you pop in there. They've just been so creative and so much fun because I'm a word nerd. When I see it on the page with my eyes, it's so satisfying oh. to me <laughs> to see it and be like, oh, that's even beautiful. On the page. <laughs> I love that. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Oh, absolutely. Now, I did want to circle back to your writing process. Can you expand and tell us a little bit about the writing process for both of these projects? And did the writing processes differ? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so I can I can approach projects with very differing levels of planning. Like Wander Home, I went into with almost no planning at all. The outside I've had outlined pretty much beat by beat. I say beat by beat, though, and not chapter by chapter, because that can change. Like sometimes like, mm, it doesn't emotionally feel like we're here yet. So I'll put another chapter in that kind of thing. But I do have like the major beats of the story planned out. Keeping you in sight was different in that I had the ending written, not written, written, but like I had the ending planned when I started it, but I wasn't really sure how I was going to get there. I think that my writing process for sure is very focused on the ending and the emotional conclusion that we're going towards like if you don't have an emotional conclusion you're going towards you don't have a direction you know I'm all about that it's like what lesson are they going to be learning what's going to change what's the emotional change of the story that's what I have to know before I go in and that even for Wander Home which I had very little planned but I, I knew the emotional change is pretty simple it's like they're gonna you know trust each other <laughs> and Cass is going to have to learn to start to accept himself in terms of his, you know, the fact that he's autistic. Dean, I wanted him to start to trust Cass and also for him to start to to care about Cass enough to stand up a little bit to him, you know? And that's like, I knew that going in. So that's what I was writing towards. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm just sort of rambling, but my, yeah, my, my writing process is always very focused on the ending and what emotional conclusion we're getting towards and the lesson that the characters are going to learn. I love that. I love that because as you're writing each chapter in succession, 
you still have that like major end goal in mind and that emotional mm-hmm. impact of the story and the overall theme and arc, which I think is just lovely because you can see that in your writing, how everything just kind of builds up to these moments that are so impactful. Yeah, I read something kind of recently. I can't remember where I read it, though, but I read someone wrote said the ending of your story is your thesis. And I thought that was so interesting. It might have been like a Tumblr post or something. But I thought that was a great way to put it, you know, like your ending is your thesis. Like, what are you arguing in this story almost, you know? <laughs> so you have to have that just like if you're writing an essay, you have to have your thesis statement before you write the essay or else what the hell are you trying to prove here? Like the same way I feel like when I write, I have to know where I'm going, at least in terms of the emotional conclusion before I start. I love that. That's such great advice for writers who struggle with that. Maybe thinking of that direction that you want your story to go in, kind of like a thesis. Because a lot of us are familiar with that concept of the thesis, right? So that's a really great way to look at it. I've never considered that before, but that's awesome. It's a great way to think about it, though. And also a great way, I think, to think about coming up with that emotional payoff scene, I guess. You know, I... (laughs) I... uh, Went into my own embarrassing writing trials in that episode with Casually Neurotic. I don't have a lot of experience like finishing anything because, you know, I struggle. But yeah, that that actually sounds really great as far as like having that direction. I might incorporate (laughs) that into my own projects if I ever finish it. Um, So we'll see. Well, good luck. (laughs) I'd love to read your stuff. Is it is it on your like AO3 just like with the same username? It is not. So the truth is that I have never written a fan fiction (gasps) story in my whole entire life that I've finished. Yeah, I am a voracious reader. I've been reading fan fiction since I was like 14 years old. So we're talking like 24 years now. But I never considered myself a writer. I've tried (laughs) multiple times, but like I've never been able to finish anything. And, you know, here's the thing. I am so attracted to emotional writing. But because of the way that my brain works, I'm not good at the emotional writing myself. And so I want it to be emotional and powerful and blah, 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 blah. And I just can't like, I don't know, I can't reproduce it on the page. And I'm sure it's just that it's something that takes practice and I shouldn't be comparing my stuff to other people's stuff and all that. But I think that's what keeps me back sometimes is I want it to have that emotional impact you know, similar to a lot of these other fan fiction stories that I read and I love, and I'm just not there. And it's frustrating to me. So I've never finished anything. So yeah, if I ever finish anything and feel comfortable enough to publish it, it will be under my Chaos Blue AO3 username. <laughs> my God, like when I was writing Keeping in Sight, like I got very depressed at one point and like felt like I couldn't keep going because I read, <laughs> just because I read someone else's fan fiction that I saw it was so good and it emotionally impacted me so much and I was like I'll never write like this what am I even doing like I'm a fraud I'm you know like this is pointless and like I just I was like I'm never gonna be able to do it like that so why should I even try but obviously that's not a healthy way to think you know no it's really not it's really not but like thank you for being so open and vulnerable about that with your own writing process because I feel like with all of the fan fiction writers that I've talked to That's such a common experience, right? That feeling of, I'm a fraud, I'm a poser, I don't know what I'm doing. And and then you read somebody else's fic that you think is just like so amazing and so wonderful. 
And while it's so great to read a fan fiction that impacts you so emotionally, yeah. sometimes it can derail yeah. your own writing projects a little bit because you're just like, yeah. I'll never be this good. I quit. Like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, good is, is like up to beauties and I, the beholder and all that shit. But like the truth is like, I haven't learned to write the way that that person writes. You know, like I haven't gotten there, but it's not like I haven't gotten better it's just like I'm never going to write like them because I like I write like me right and I think that that's absolutely where writers have to come to that place eventually for themselves right where we all have to be very comfortable with just our own voice because that's the other thing that I just love about fan fiction and it blows me away every time people complain a lot that fan fiction is so tropey and it is but I feel like every single fan fiction story that I've ever read has been told to me in a slightly different perspective than all of the other stories. So I don't even care that it's tropey. I don't even care that I've seen this theme a thousand times before. Just that person writing it from their own unique perspective, that means something, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I I like reading the same tropes over and over and seeing the different ways people write. Yeah, because it's always going to be just a little bit different. And there's always going to be just that slight variation that makes it really amazing, you know, no matter how many times you've seen that trope over and over and over. So it's really cool. I know we have talked about how cool and unique and special fan fiction is throughout this interview, but did you have any other thoughts or comments about fan fiction? I think I said what I what I thought earlier, just that that it's it's something like what makes it unique as opposed to published books is the fact that you don't have to go through the publishing process and that removes that kind of filter between the author and the audience. Now, with grad school over, I imagine you have more time on your hands. So besides Wander Home, which I know that you're still working on that and still producing content for that, do you have any other future fan fiction projects planned? So I do want to write more in Wander Home. I want to finish The Outside and I want to keep writing. I don't, I haven't decided if I'm going to just keep writing a bunch of one shots or after the outside, if I'm going to write another bigger like installment in it about them living together, I probably will. (laughs) So I'll probably work on that. But I also want to go back and finally write the timestamps. I promised everyone for keeping you in sight, which I never gave up on, but I wrote one and I published it. And then I have all these other ideas. And I think honestly, Partially, I was so busy with grad school for two years straight, especially because I actually want these timestamps to be good. You know, like I didn't have the time to work on them. But also, I think I honestly, I needed like an emotional break. Like keeping the site was so emotional for me to write. Like it was really hard, you know, and I think I needed I needed some time to like, you know, reorient myself and all that. So I do want to write more of these timestamps now that I have time, though. I have a lot of ideas. I think another thing though, another thing that sort of stopped me from writing for a while is quite a lot of them that I have ideas for are about Dean and Sam, you know, living together and not Dean and Cass. And I do have some for Dean and Cass and I know that people mostly want to see Dean and Cass. (laughs) So I'm kind of trying to get over that of being like, whatever, you know, I have to write what I want to write. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, Maybe my opinion is in the minority or whatever, but like the one that you did publish for keeping you inside the timestamp, I loved it. But I guess I don't really have that attachment of Sam over Dean as much as like maybe other people do. (laughs) So like I love them both equally. And so for me, like seeing Dean, whether he's with, you know, Sam or whether he's with Cass. Yeah, I truly love Sam so much. (laughs) And 
I like I find his psyche like so interesting, which I, I really felt like I said this already, but I feel like I was low key exploring that in Keeping You in Sight throughout the whole thing. But so now it's like I want to explore like their relationship more, you know? And I think like before I can write like timestamps about Dean and Cass, like I need to write the ones about Dean and Sam because they're sort of the chronological way they would work, you know? Absolutely. I'm with you. I really love the way that folks explore that sibling dynamic. And then, of course, in this particular universe that you've created with their particular backgrounds, it's like a richer space to explore, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, if you end up publishing any more of those, I will be so happy because uh, they're really fun to read and really cool. Now, last question of the day. I always ask my guests if they have other fan fiction writers that they follow. For sure. So Thanks Tacos is my absolute favorite fan fiction writer. Oh, see, I need to read Thanks Tacos. Thanks Tacos, shout out to you because Thanks Tacos actually reached out to me last month and sent me the sweetest message. Which ones are your favorite? Well, Don't Care Where You've Been, which is their big fan fiction, is, is my favorite one. That's like one of my favorite fan fictions ever, possibly my favorite. I just feel like I've been reading for 10 years, so it's kind of hard to be like absolute favorite. It possibly is my favorite fan fiction of all time. I told them this. I've like talked to them now, which I was like so fangirling when they messaged me. I told them this. I, I have clicked on, not read through, but clicked on their fan fiction like over 600 times. Like it tells you like on AO3 how many times you've clicked on particular fan fictions. Let's see what it is right now. Hold on. <laughs> now, now, is this the, the story that you just mentioned? Don't care where you've been. I've clicked on it 655 times. 655 times? Yeah. Like every time I'm like, I don't know what to read and I'm not finding anything new. Like I just go back and read another couple scenes from that. Like I oh love that fan fiction. I love their writing, all of it. They have another, like several other fan fictions in that verse. And I love all of them. And they have like several other fan fictions besides that. And they also shared something with me recently that I've been trying to encourage them to. I think them. Sorry. She uses she, her pronouns. I Sometimes I just automatically go into they, them. That's stupid. Um, she recently was working on something else. I'm kind of like calling her out right now because she was like not <laughs> sure if she should publish it. And I was like, yes, do it. It's so good. So she's definitely my favorite fanfic author. There's also, I love the pinup chemist who has several very popular fanfictions I'm a huge fan of. Into Your Hideaway is one. And then there's another one that's super good. What's it called? Oh, Pick It All Up. That's another one that's fantastic. Those are like possibly my other like very up there favorites. The definitely highly inspired keeping you in sight. Like, thanks, Tacos. I love Don't Care Where You've Been, but it was published after keeping you in sight. The, the pinup chemist, the ones I'm mentioning into your hideaway and pick it all up were ones I read before I wrote keeping you in sight. It definitely had a big influence on it. Those are the ones I had written down already, but now I feel like I have to tell people the, the, the fan fiction that made me feel like I should stop writing because it was so good which is called like Moses and Batman and James Dean by Salty Feathers. That one's kind of like, it's sort of like an in-canon one. It's like sort of about Dean and Cass like getting together, but Dean has a lot of trauma that he hasn't really dealt with about like his own history, like prostituting to sort of survive as a young, you know, as a teenager. And it's, it's very popular as well. It's one chapter, but it's 31,000 words. 
So those are some of my my favorites. Oh, excellent. You gave us some great ones. I'll make sure to put the links in the show notes on the website so people can check those out because they sound amazing. Awesome. Thank you. So that does conclude all of my questions for today. Ginger Swag, it was such an honor having you here today. Do you have any last words for us? No, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to say. No, I I just thank you so much for having me on. Um, it It was fantastic talking to you. You're a very good interviewer. I was very nervous at the beginning of this, so you put me at ease. Oh, good. I'm so glad. It was so much fun having you on today. Thank you so much. Folks, check out her stories on AO3. Give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram at fanficmaverick, and, of course, I can be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. Mm-hmm.